As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and yes, sportsman drag racing. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host, Mr. Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed is at home in Alabama. I am at home in Southern Illinois, recovering, still recovering from a Memorial Day weekend, Big Jed. It's still got me out of whack. It's Thursday. I still messed up missing Monday. I, I'm trying to catch up. How are you? Luke, I am well, and um, I understand completely, uh, you know, just monday off and all that stuff just kind of throws the week into an odd little um feel but um you should be tired because you probably made as many laps this weekend at the racetrack as you've made in the previous month at the racetrack and that's not saying you didn't do well i'm just saying you did more gooder than you've done in quite some time this past weekend i made a full nhra season in two days. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, was trying yeah. to count it up. I think we made two time trials. I made two time trials when I got there Saturday. We got we got in a little late. My little man had a baseball game Saturday morning. Made 46 elimination runs over the course of two days. Wow. That's 46. What I said. 46. Brother, that's that's staying in the car a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That, that stuff, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but uh that that's as that's probably about as alive as I feel these days. Like I, I actually really enjoy that. It was a throwback to to years and years ago. But uh, yeah, I had uh, I made a bunch of runs. My wife was double entered. Gary was racing juniors. There was always something going on. So it was a lot of fun, and it's always a lot of fun when things are going your way and when lights are coming on. So yeah. Oh, is it? I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you clearing that up for me. <laughs> now you had a great weekend 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a, a big Memorial Day weekend, not just for, for me, Big Jed, not just for us, but across the country. And that's the thing about these holiday weekends. It's it's typically brings big events at seemingly every track, big or small, across the country. And obviously, we've got a handful of those that we'll focus on here in this episode. We've got several, obviously, that we'll miss and then that we won't talk about Um but I think the the biggest place to start is one that actually wrapped up Big Jed before the the weekend officially began, and that was the uh, the SFG Super Bowl event out in Darlington with a threat of weather on the horizon. That race got compacted and actually came to a conclusion late Friday evening. Uh, three big winners in Darlington, and Jed, they're they're three names that our listenership is very familiar with. Uh, yeah, gonna be some uh, some people that you hear about a lot, and you know, and that's going to be even in the next event that we're going to talk about some typical winners. So first, I, I'll start the show, Luke. With how does this keep happening? I mean, how do the same people continue to rise to the top and win in these talent rich and and uh, you know? events just full of great cars and and great racers how do the same guys keep rising to the top it's a great question because i think we can all agree that the parity across the board from top to bottom in these events is greater and deeper than at any time in our lives right i i i think that that's no doubt i think that that's something that we can we can all agree on and not necessarily argue. And yet, to your point, you look at the the names and there's there's not often a lot of surprises, right? And how is it that the cream rises to the top when the margins are so thin? And um, I don't I don't know that I have a great explanation for that. I mean, you can say I do feel like there is a you know the traveling circuit of, of racers that are are at all of those events that that give themselves the the most opportunities but that even is a wider net than what seems to to win you know what i mean it seems like there's a hundred or so racers that are at all of them and even out of that group it seems like there's 25 that you can just count on to 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 hit pay dirt you know more often than not and that separation the is what was you know 20 30 years ago what was the you take the best racer at the track and the 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 least experienced racer at the track and their average package you might have seen a hundredth difference right today that feels like it's got to be a thousandth or two like the difference isn't that wide and yet you still see the kevin brannon's the Corey galetti's the matt datis's and stephen mccrory's and gary williams like seems like time after time week after week those are the names that keep popping up yeah there's no explanation for it i mean obviously the easy explanation is these guys are just great they're very good at what they do and you know they're they're probably a cut above most of the field but still the odds are against you because even though they these guys are that talented the percentage of the field that's capable of winning is higher today than it's ever been. You know, when I was winning back in my day on a regular basis, 15% of the field could win. 
the other 85 was hoping and maybe, you know, you'd red light the good racers or red light on them or something. But today, I mean, literally, I believe 60% of the field is capable of winning most every time you go. And it could be higher than that at some of these big stage premier races. So and it's, it's incredible what these guys are doing. And what's interesting, or I think notable about that is that that's not just the case at these mega events where the field is littered with names that we would recognize. Like, I feel like that's the case at I-57 Drag Strip on Saturday night. You know what I mean? And tracks okay. all across the country. The every the the equipment is so much better the the timing systems are better like there's so many things that have been um that have aided our performance you know technologically like you could go on down the list like the margins are definitely tighter everyone's definitely more competitive and yet you tend to see the same names rise to the top like that that margin is thinner than at any point in history and yet the the elite the cream of the crop they still tend to find a way. It's kind of incredible. It really is. It's remarkable what they're capable of. So, so, so long story short, so I don't have a good explanation. I, I don't have yeah. a good explanation. I don't think there's a I don't think there's a reasonable <laughs> explanation for it other than they're just that darn good. What a great way to start the show. We have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about those winners. Luke, obviously you you mentioned the SFG Super Bowl. Um, it was at Darlington Dragway, scheduled to be a $20,000 warm-up and three fifty granders. Um, they obviously saw some weather on the horizon that uh, made them adjust the schedule, and they sped it up just a little bit, decided that they would uh, run the 20 grand warm-up. They had a, a 50 grander, and then they combined two 50 granders to make it 100, and I think they were planning to give themselves a couple of days to get that in if necessary but as it turns out the weather did not do what they anticipated and they got that hundred in and it, it wrapped up the event fairly early as you said so um they start out with a 20 grand warm-up race and none other than champ uh you know takes it to the final gets it done beat scott taylor in the final um champ we say it over and over and over you know, he just doesn't give himself a whole lot of opportunities anymore. It doesn't feel like. I feel like he's racing locally a little bit and enjoying himself and and uh, racing with uh, with his significant other there and having a great time. Doesn't get out a whole lot, I don't think, to the to the bigger races. But when he does, he just makes it happen. And he got that twenty gram warm up race to to get things started out at the Super Bowl. And just another great performance by him. I, I was able to tune in and watch some of that kind of late and uh, just really solid runs. Champ Champ makes great decisions. No, that's where I was going to go because I, I didn't get an opportunity. I was not locked in on this. I obviously saw that the, the Champ had gotten the victory and I just assumed he was in typical form. And to your point, I know we've talked about it here before, but the quality of runs and, and to your, I used a good word there, decisions that he makes is truly impressive, especially given the fact that, as you pointed out, like he's not the guy that's out there making 40, 50 runs a weekend. You know what I mean? And, and the, not only the, the quality of runs and the decision-making, but the, it's one thing to go out and be 10, take 10, 11 times in a row and win a race. Like that's hard to do. Right. And there's, 
there's a small percentage of racers that are capable of 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 performing at that level but that percentage of racers capable of performing at that level gets remarkably smaller when you tighten the window and to watch champ it's very obvious that he is tightening the window like 10 take 10 is not the goal if it is he trims it up way closer <laughs> than that way more often right it's more like five take five three take three and the ability to set up that tight at both ends and continually put up those numbers is what makes maybe that's the part of the answer to our earlier question is the at today's level especially the level of comfortability of setting up that tight and being able to back it up and I don't think I don't know that there's anyone that exemplifies that better than Stephen McCrory. Yeah, Luke. You, you know, everybody at the racetrack knows that that Champ has a bag of sand in the car, and they know that he is setting up to try to control the race and show you a look that's not factual. You know you'd think some point along the line, somebody's going to trick him, but it rarely, rarely happens, which shows a lot of discipline on his part. Cause you know, if you're holding four or five, it's not always where you can get four or five in front and control what happens at the finish line. Sometimes you're going to be 20 and your opponent's holding enough that they can cover up the rest of your four or five. And you got to know, I'm not even getting close to where I want to be. And I've got to kill this number. And he does it consistently and does it well. It just, it's, you know, it's a Jeff Sarah approach, maybe not quite the numbers that, that Jeff lays down or, or holds on average, but just his strategy is so bold and it's so risky, but he makes it work, which shows tremendous talent and discipline on his part. We're back to the, the it's just two episodes in a row that, that we lead with trickery and discipline. I like that. Do you get any comments on that last week? I got some feedback on trickery and discipline. The, the, the no, I didn't get anything. I don't think yeah. anybody really listens to what I say. <laughs> well, it was what you said. It just got reiterated to me. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, talk no, to you to, about it. To your point, I, the specific to the the comparison between champ strategy and and Jeff Sarah's strategy, I think they're very similar. But I think champ, I think champ at least at times attempts to disguise it where Jeff Sarah's like, y'all look at this, right? Like <laughs> that's the only yeah, difference point. It, at its core. I think the strategy is very similar. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Real good point. So then they move in to the 50 grander and, you know, you're thinking, all right, well, we're going to see some new blood get in here and get them 50 K. And we almost did. We almost did. One of my old bottom bulb buddies yeah. just about got it done. Ernie Humes takes it to the final round and comes up just a little short to another guy who arguably had the best season last year, not in dollars won, but in terms of rounds won and certainly on um, semi to large stages, Corey Galetti, tremendous 2022. And he's done nothing but back that up so far in 2023. He gets the 50 grand win in Darlington at the Super Bowl. And just, again, another young man that has a consistent strategy that I think everybody at the racetrack knows 
and 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 understands, but you just can't do anything with it. He's just that good. He knows when he can be in front enough. He knows when he's behind too much, and he makes great decisions. And it rattled off a, a 50k paycheck for him there at Darlington, just a uh, you know a consistent winner once again in Corey Gulletti. I think that Corey is is perhaps rightfully gaining a, a reputation as like all the kid does is win 50s. That's obviously not quite accurate. He pretty much wins everything, but he yes. does seem to have a pension. It seems like most of the time that you see, maybe not most of the time, more often than most, when you see Corey Galetti holding a big check, it says $50,000. I wonder what the count is on that. It seems like Corey's won a bunch of 50s. Yeah, I would say he has won a ton of 50s and, uh, you know, it looks like he, he's young as he is. He's got a ton more. So make room in the, in the trophy room, Corey, you're, you're going to need it for everything you're going to accomplish. And, you know, again, just a young man that people should hate Luke. He's, he's done this at a very high level since he was basically way too young to even understand how high a level he was doing it on. He's got amazing equipment. Obviously, that started with his father and all the, the things he set him up to do in this sport and his mother, of course. But you just can't dislike this guy. I mean, Corey, he's, you know, he's on top of the world. He's winning. He's got great equipment. He wins new cars. He wins 50 granders like they're freaking shootout, gambler shootouts. But you can't dislike him. He's an amazing kid, very likable, very humble, and just – you know, living a life that a lot of people obviously look at and probably think it's all sunshine and roses, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to to race like he does, keep his equipment in great shape like he does, the travel, all those things. So if anybody is is questioning at all what Corey has accomplished and whether, you know, it was handed to him or not, you don't get handed that kind of talent. That's hard work, dedication, commitment. And this kid has earned everything he's accomplished so far. That's an interesting point too. You know, I just, I think of, of Corey as, as one of the, um, one of the flag bearers, right. Of the, of the next generation. And you think like just put into a pile, Corey Galetti, Matt Daddis, um, Gage Birch, um, there was another one that, that came to mind, like young guys that you ought to dislike just be from the, the success. Level. Donovan. Donovan's a, Donovan's another great example, right? Yeah. Um, typically, traditionally, let me say that that level to, to achieve that level of performance, like it takes something that most of us don't have and and probably don't understand, right? Like the, look at the, the Kobe Bryant's of the world, the, the Michael Jordan's, the Tiger Woods, right? Like they are incredibly driven, focused, capable of things that most of us cannot dream of. And that level of commitment, like perhaps maniacal at times, that's what got them to that point. It's, it, it, historically traditionally makes them difficult to be around or at the very least misunderstood you know kind of not the most social of animal 
And that doesn't seem to be the case with this young crop of, of racers that are coming up that are dominating, that are super, to your point, like very difficult not to like. Like, I think that has to speak well, bode well for the future of our sport. If you zoom out from that a little bit, and I, I know I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent there, speaking directly about Corey, but I never really thought about it in that aspect. And you're a hundred percent right. Like we've got a lot of, I want to call them kids. Obviously they're not kids. I'm showing my age, right. But the the next generation of the sport that I, I not only are doing it on the racetrack, but are handling themselves in such a way that I think has got to be good for us overall. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I think we talked about live feeds on a, a recent show and I think live feeds have created a, a, a bond with the great racers to where even if we're just watching them, we think we know them. They're not, they're not mythical creatures anymore to where when we do cross their path one time a year that we're like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't even really know what he looked like or, uh, wow, that guy don't, he don't look anything like I thought he would, you know, all the, so now we know these guys, we see them in the, the winter circle, we see them through social media. So social media and, and live feeds have definitely changed the game to the point where I think it makes people a little more sociable just because you already feel like you know them when you see them at the racetrack and, you know, it's, it's good to go up and chat with them um, and, and discuss what you watched last week or two weeks ago or so on and so forth. So, and I, I think, think those, there's an element to that too, of that younger generation that to some extent kind of grew up on that, that is like way, it, it's way more comfortable to them than it is to, to some of us. If that, you know what I mean? It seems more natural yeah. to, to be yeah. in that spotlight. Very good point. And so, Luke, they took two fifty granders, combined them to a hundred grander, and uh, and again, that thing um, did not meet the weather interruption that they anticipated they might have, and it wrapped up a little early. But this guy, I mean, this guy is another one of those guys. I should hate this guy. I mean, he's <laughs> he didn't a dragster, didn't a dragster forever. Just dragster, dragster, dragster. Like, oh, yeah, well, he's going 430s and he's in a dragster. I mean, that's hard to beat. So then he builds him a door car. And then he goes out and does it in a door car over and over and over and consistently competing on the big stage and getting in the final rounds. And he takes his Monza, his Maddox race car's Monza, and he takes it to a hundred grand final over a very difficult opponent in Michael Pascal. Pascal is one of those guys, and I know you got some comments about Pascal. He's one of those guys that don't get out. He don't run around all over the place racing. But if something comes to his general region of the country, you better watch out because this cat makes good runs and he is hard to handle. KB knows that. Obviously, this was in his region of the country, in his home state. He knows how tough Michael Pascal is. Obviously, makes a great run, gets it done. Kevin Brannon, you know, he's won million-dollar races on both coasts. He's won 100 granders and uh, 50 granders galore, collects another $100,000 paycheck at the Super Bowl in his door car. Uh, love that guy. Love how he carries himself. Loves how he races. Um, you know, obviously, if you've ever spent any time talking to him, and I know you've spent plenty, you just can't help but – but just love Kevin Brannon and so happy for him putting his name on another 100K check. Just a, an awesome performance by him. 
I don't, I'm out of superlatives. Like when we talk about KB over the course of the last, what, year, year and a half calendar year, there's no one that's won more of the high level prestigious events. This is three or four, like $100,000 plus events that he's won, at least $50,000 plus events that he's won. And to your point, it just kind of makes you shake your head that it's a hundred grand to win. Like it's KB or it's Kyle Coltrera or it's Gary Williams. Like (laughs) it seems like a very short list of racers that continue to win these. And KB's like his, the, uh, the, the ability to win it in, in seemingly any car in the freaking pits. Right. I mean, he's going like faster than a Monza should go. Right. And it just looks very effortless. Right. And and keep in mind how much of a, I don't even want to say like a fish out of water. Cause I think he's struggling with combinations. Like when he first started spending a lot of time in the Monza, I was like, dude, what are you doing? Just get back in that dragster and beat everybody. That's what you do. Right. <laughs> and now it's like that Monza is the winningest car in the country. You know, it, it's, it's really incredible. And, and there's nothing about KB's game. Like there is, I feel like you watch a champ or a Jeff Sarah and like the, the signatures, like I'm going to hold a year and, and beat you at the finish line. And you watch other racers and it's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you over the head because I'm going to be better than five every single run. KB's got the entire package. Like there's nothing on the racetrack that he can't do, but there's also like nothing that you go, man, like, he does this in a way that nobody else does. Like he's essentially the difference between KB and a, and a Jeff Sarah champ. I feel like Kevin's playing the same game that I am. He's just way better at it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you'd mentioned earlier, like the, 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 the strategy is relatively predictable. And, and I don't mean to diminish the fact, like all of these guys that we talk about, like there is a level of deception that may be subtle like they find ways to win races that most of us would not even think about right and 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 kind of surprise opponents at times like i I don't want to diminish from that at all but by and large like i feel like kevin's is like kevin's almost he's the type of guy i feel like he's going to tell you at the ready line like hey here's how i'm going to beat you and you can't do anything about it (laughs) yeah that sounds about right uh and and He's a nice enough guy. He probably would tell you if you just ask him, what, what can you go, KB? Uh, here's what I can go. So yeah. um, just, a, you know, again, a, a star-studded list of champions there at the SFG Super Bowl, uh, a star-studded list of runners-up, um, and certainly on down through the field. It was, a, it was a talented field, good event, good decisions by the SFG crew to – to change the schedule up and make sure they got all the money paid. So congrats to all the, the people there with the SFG brand and certainly all the winners there at Darlington. That was a, it was a great event. Not to, to cut you off, Jed, but I did, I did want to circle back on Michael Pascal. Like we, that would be a name that had his win light come on in the final. It doesn't feel like we're just recycling the same group of winners. Right. And yet, to those that know, and I think most of our listeners know, like that would be zero surprise. I think I am a little bit biased and you may be the same, Jed, like I don't ever get out that way to race. So I read a lot about the Paschal brothers and, and what they accomplished, but I don't get to see it firsthand. So I'm probably not as enamored with their performance as I otherwise would be. But that's a dude like, I think producer Mark actually brought this up 
on one of our, I don't think we did this, this year, this season for whatever reason, but we usually poll a handful of racers and promoters and, 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 you know, movers and shakers within the industry and, and put and compile a, a top 25 list. Right. And I think in the process of doing that one year, producer Mark said something effective, like, I, I gotta have Michael Paschal on this list. Like he just, he wins too damn much not to be included. Right. Like they, all, all they do is win. And you watch you know, to your point, Jed, he's not on the road. He's not, not hitting every one of these races across the country. When I tuned in Friday night for the hundred grander, I think there was like six cars left total. I know there was three dragsters left and he was two of them. At, at that level and just making sick runs, I believe he lost to Shane Maddox and then come back and beat Maddox um, the next round in the in the dragster final. Somewhere along the way, he broke his car, had to hop in Ray Ray Miller's car to finish the race. And I think the first run he's in it, he's one total. Like, I, I mean, granted, oh. there's there's a little bit of, of, of luck and happenstance involved in that because I would imagine he's never sat in the car before. But there's also it speaks to holy hell, you know, like, there are too many people that are capable of that. So I, I just I think he's one that if if we saw him race more and or his uh, he was it was more inclined to travel, like I think he would also be on this short list because he makes incredible runs. Very good point, Luke, and uh, I'm sure that Ray Ray flipped the cheater switch for him that allowed him to be one. Oh, total. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. Ray Ray's got to have one of those because nobody wins that consistently. But, <laughs> um, but to to your point, Michael Pascal probably between Darlington and VMP, and and no farther west than than Darlington or or the Virginia Tennessee line. He's probably been in every winter circle at, at that at those racetracks. I mean, the guy just regionally is dominant. And uh, certainly the last thing anybody wants is for him to, to travel more because uh, he would he'd be definitely getting his share of them. Luke, let's, uh, let's ease out to Texas. We don't get to say that very much no. for big bracket races. So um, very interesting, uh, very interesting format here with the spring stampede. It was Ryan Gleghorn and Johnny Ezel, Madison Ezel. Flicker Pro Promotions put this event on. Been trying to do it now for a couple of years. And, you know, they'd get rained out or, that you know, the, I think the weather one year was just stupid hot where they were going to have it and couldn't have it. So they've been trying this for a little while. Finally all come together. And boy, did it ever come together. They had this at the Texas Motorplex in Ennis, Texas, the Dallas area, as you well know, and uh, just a huge turnout, really great event. I don't know how much you got to pay attention to it. I'm sure making 46 laps over the weekend didn't allow you a whole lot of time for live feeds, but um, just a really good event for everybody involved. Um, they had 45 juniors like on top of a crowd of, I think, three eight. 89 was their yeah, max on cars. It was a it was your standard big bucks format uh, where the the no box side ran down to one and that person advanced into the the top bulb field. So um, what no box crowd they had versus what top bulb crowd they had uh, basically come in at 389. So huge huge turnout there in Texas. 
Yeah, which is great to see. I mean, my impression is that this event turned into a bit of a marathon and that, you know, that takes away some of from it. But the fact that you put almost 400 entries into an event anywhere, but especially in the state of Texas, like that is that's reason for kudos in and of itself. I, I, I would venture to guess it seems like I, I could be wrong. Paige could probably tell us accurately when Tommy Phillips was putting on his events at Abilene and then the Motorplex, they might've touched close to that. I know that those had a huge following, but with the possible exception of that, I think it's safe to say this is the the most well-attended bracket event in the state of Texas in years. And, and if it eclipsed those Tommy Phillips races in decades, and that's great to see, like that is an area that I grew up on being, if not the, the, the bracket racing Mecca, uh, one of them, you know what I mean? That like it was, it was kind of a big dollar race hub when I was a kid, we're talking late eighties, early nineties. And then it, it got very, very dry out there for many, many years. So it's good to see it coming back and good to see it well-supported and well-supported from all across the country. I mean, there was racers from the West, there was racers from the North, there were racers from the East all converged on the Texas motorplex. And at least, I don't know that it, that it played a huge role in the turnout, but what they did a great job of in terms of the promotion, publicity kind of buzz around the race was this just ongoing feud that that has been been symbolized by Ryan Gleghorn and, and Chris Whitfield and they're at least uh, um, uh, seemingly at, at odds with one another and having some some fun banter back and forth on the internet. But the the West Coast call out basically like. Uh, Glenhorn, what he put up five thousand dollars to anybody west of ten percent, ten percent of whatever the winner's purse was that day. If a okay, West Coaster okay. won, if a West Coaster won, and he yeah. almost, almost <laughs> had to pay up. Had to get yeah, a little. Yeah, he got close. He got close. Oh, you know, he was nervous. Uh, uh, I was watching the live feed, and because uh, I got in it at three o'clock in the morning after some motorhome trouble and just a, just a rough night. So uh, I was uh, about to jump in the shower and wash off the, the road grime and everything at three o'clock Sunday morning. And uh, that, that was all happening. And they said, Ryan was down on the racetrack, you know, just like pacing, like <laughs> that extra two grand was, uh, was going to be rough on him, but uh, peeps did what peeps does. And he kept that money in Texas all the way around. I mean, the West Coast call out was genius, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. I think it forced some West Coasters to come there. But you really don't want Chris Whitfield at your event with an opportunity to, to win <laughs> extra money from you. Because there. There's a decent chance he's going to get it. And he almost did. But well, not only an opportunity, but an incentive. Like the last thing <laughs> yeah. you need is pissed off, fired up Chris Whitfield on your hands. Yes. Right? A very good point. Uh, but they they started the uh, they started the the week or weekend with a five grand warm up race, Luke and uh, Peep Show collected that I think at one fifty five a.m. on Saturday. So long long day, and no split return with Christopher Dodd from what I understood. Oh, is that right? I did I not know. So, that. Yeah. Okay, okay, I like it. Um, so they they came back mm -hmm. and started the the twenty grander on uh, Saturday morning. And obviously, like I said, that one lasted till three o'clock the next morning. So there, it was kind of marathonish, but what about Peeps? Peeps gets it done and the five grander gets a few hours sleep 
comes back, gets it done in the 20 grand or over, arguably the the best the West Coast has to offer in Chris Whitfield. The way he's uh, rolling, I don't know if that's arguably. Yeah, I mean, he guys, he, he's he's that good. So um, you know, gets it done over Christopher Dodd, gets it done over Chris Whitfield. That is some bad cats in the other lane, peep show back to back, five and a twenty. Just tremendous performance by him. Um, we were we were texting a little bit during the five grander. I left him alone in the twenty, but um, you know he's just you know he's just got an all shucks kind of attitude, you know. And like, yeah, they're probably going to cave my head in next round or this or that. And I I, I think he even said, yeah, why did I why did I have to run all night to win a five? Now I'm you know going to get my head cracked in the 20 well no no you didn't uh you got it too so uh good job by peach another great job by him score one for the young dads out there it i mean peeps is operating on normal he's going on three hours sleep he's he's got like a six month old at home he's right in his real house man really good point really good point Uh, (laughs) tremendous performance again by him and and the runners up it was all Pennington all the time, Big Jed, because not only did Peeps dominate day one and day two. By the way, it was, it was a bad day to, to be a, be named Chris in the final round, right? Peeps dominates day one, day two. His brother Michael comes one win light away from sweeping the weekend for the Pennington family. He runners up to Jeremy Heffler in Sunday's $20,000 race. More on Jeremy in just a minute. But if that wasn't enough, Big Jed, I don't know if you saw this. You mentioned 45-plus junior dragsters. They were separated by age, at least for the early rounds. The six to nine-year-old junior dragster class was won both days by one Cash Pennington. The Penningtons yeah. could do no wrong at the Spring Stampede. That was totally the opposite, uh, well east of there. But <laughs> <laughs> good for the Skinningtons. Uh, you know, obviously, again, those guys just win. They win everywhere they go. It ain't this Texas thing. That's a that's an awesome group and. Obviously, little Cash is—he's—he's uh, he's collected that winning gene, and uh, he's getting it done as well, winning his age group each day. That's a—that's awesome. That family had to had to have the weekend of their life, just really enjoying the racing. And uh, when I when I talked about Chris Whitfield almost winning, uh, Gleghorn is watching apparently on uh, on our live here, and uh, he said I almost won in Bristol once too. So. Uh, he's basically saying anything's anything's possible, but almost don't count. <laughs> <laughs> Paige, by the way, said she predicted the finalist in the twenty grander. No, she predicted peeps over Whitfield. Wow, I would have needed to see that in like you know on on in print or in writing prior to to believe it. I mean, there's no need for that. Page and say you did. Do you know why Paige is so good at predictions? Why is that? Because she's part of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast team, dude. It's what oh, we do. That's a great point. That's yeah. a great point. Like yeah. we, Chairman. she got a podcast bump on predictions from us. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, we're that good. Good point. <laughs> Shouts to Paige. Shouts to Peeps. Shouts to Chris. So, what about the winner in the in the Sunday race in the Sunday twenty, Luke? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's Hefflers and Pennington's winning races in Texas. Yeah, who'd have thunk it, right? Kind of like last week in Texas. It's <laughs> it's just you're recycling the same names. No, this one, it hits close to home for me just because I, I, I grew up 
emulating and, and befriending the, the Heffler brothers. The last time that I think we talked about Jeremy Heffler on this podcast at, at any extent, it was in about the, the worst way that we can talk about anybody. He was, he was yes. recovering. We were wishing him well from a nasty top end incident at this same facility um, about a year ago and, uh, and went through some health issues related to that. Like it was, it was a scary scene. It was a struggle coming out of it. And to see Jeremy Heffler, like this is probably the, the highlight, but the, over the course of the last month, Jeremy has won basically every big event there's been in the state of Texas. Seemingly he won a, a $5,000 Ironman race at extreme. He went to Ardmore, Oklahoma won, I think it was the no box side of the cow pasture nationals uh, uh, or the windmill nationals, I believe. Uh, one of the prestigious events at Ardmore, one of the prestigious events in that area, and then tops it off with this $20,000 victory here. So obviously Jeremy is back in full force doing what he's done for the better part of shoot three, four decades now. And again, like from the the outside and maybe even racers the state of Texas, like it would be, it could be very easy to get tired of seeing the Hefflers continue to dominate. I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think there's anybody that could root against Jeremy Heffler at this point after what he's been through. It's so great to see him back on top. No doubt about it. Uh, definitely a guy that you you root for, especially after his accident. Uh, Paige did let me know through our chat here that uh, that, that was a year ago at the Plex when, uh, when Jeremy had his accident. So great to see him recover, not only physically, but back to his winning ways. And um, that beautiful red Chevy too he was in just to, just a great combination for them too. And um, she also let me know that in Ardmore, Jeremy runnered up to Scooter. Oh, got to get that straight. Jeremy was in the yeah. final of three of the Paige, most prestigious races in the area. Paige right. ain't messing right. around. We're, we're in her region of the country right now and she's got all the facts and by God, she is, she's spitting facts right now. So good for you, Paige. Correct this bull crap we're talking over here. But uh, great list of winners there on the top. Um, you know, again, a group that, continues to win that wasn't much different on the bottom loop uh the no box winner uh two of the three days was aaron jones aaron won friday and saturday in advance to the to the top bulb side uh guy again that has done plenty of winning not only there in texas but when he gets out he does plenty of winning as well talented young man he and that camara deadly combination and then a guy that we we haven't we've heard from a ton over the years, but haven't heard from a whole lot lately, just because he hasn't gotten out and traveled a bunch. You know, uh, got a, a a fairly new uh, child in the house along with his other child and a new wife, and that's Jake Howard. Jake Howard, one of the absolute best on the bottom in the country, and got to show that fairly regularly in the last five to six years, but here in the last probably 18 to 24 months, been a little bit quiet, not in terms of not winning races, just where he's choosing to, to go race. And, uh, you know, he's probably staying local quite a bit more than normal. And uh, he gets on a pretty big stage here and gets it done. So Aaron Jones and Jake Howard collecting all the trophies on the bottom bulb, uh, very typical, especially in that area. And then in the juniors, that was Kendall Stevenson and C-Pop. What a great little nickname for Carter Pulowski. C-Pop. C-Pop. He defeated his uh, sister Maddie in the final. I, I know we won't spend a ton of time on junior dragsters here, but I had to give them a plug. They're 
all three of those are, are this is bracket racing junior members. So way to go team. And I just, I, I know we've said it before, big jet. I love the events like this, that again, like I know that the junior dragster thing plays out into part of, you know, what can easily turn into a marathon, but I love the inclusion. Like I, I do think it's good for our sport to have the kids involved and in seeing the 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 stage and how cool it is to compete on the big dollar bracket level i think that'll pay dividends in the long run so kudos to ryan and johnny for that inclusion um the one thing i was disappointed in seeing from the from the outside and again i i, I don't think there's any question that it was the right decision in the moment but part of the intrigue around this race was we're going to stretch it out everybody's going to get to stretch their legs on the long track i love the idea of that again this thing got got so um, spread out because there was so many cars that I think that race was going to end up being really late Saturday night um, and running late Saturday night on the long track, probably not the greatest of ideas. So that ended, that ended up um, going in the can, but I would have loved to seen the talent there stretching out on the long track. Like it, it would have been fun to watch. So kind of a bummer that that didn't happen, but again, probably the right call. And part of the reason I think that that didn't happen, it's a tough weekend for race cars, big Jed. Uh, honestly across the country we'll get into a little bit more of that but um, specifically at Dallas I think there were three cars crashed and the one that stood out is actually my old Corvette big jet I, I think you saw the video of this it's the most yeah. vicious um, accident I've seen in a long time uh, my buddy Chris Harrelson went over the guardrail nasty looking wreck like uh, kudos to Charlie Stewart and the safety equipment involved there, Chris walked away from that. And you would not think what watching it, that Chris would have walked away from that. That was a scary, scary scene. Yeah. The incident was definitely scary. Uh, again, I, I don't really know what happened. I, I could speculate, but no point in me doing that here. Um, it was, uh, it was very fast and little to no time to respond to it for the driver. And I'm sure just unexpected uh, what happened. So hated to see that for sure. Definitely um, delayed the program and uh, destroyed a, a really good and nice race car. But in the end, Charlie Stewart's car did what it was supposed to do. And it protected the driver in what appeared to be a uh, no, no win opportunity for him. I mean, it looked like he was going to be in bad trouble the way that thing turned upside down and got over the wall, but it did its job. So kudos to Charlie Stewart. Congratulations, Chris Harrelson for getting out of that one. Uh, I wouldn't say unscathed completely, but definitely not at the level that, that you would have thought it was going to be. Um, and Luke, the, you know, the, obviously that, that incident took a while to, to settle down and clean up and make sure that, everything was ready for them to continue racing. So canceling the quarter mile shootout, although it, you know, it was a non-popular decision. It was the only one they could make. I mean, the race finished at 3 a.m. Sunday. So uh, had they tried to run a quarter mile shootout, they would have been, they would have never stopped racing. They would have just went right into Sunday's program. So good decision. Um, again, unpopular, but uh, have to make those decisions sometimes. And uh, certainly, um, Certainly happy to see that uh, that Chris will get the opportunity to get in something else and compete again soon. I don't think he got beat up too bad. Easy for me to say. Um, Luke, there was a, a good bottom bulb race at Terre Haute in uh, Indiana. Um, Final call promotions, Jake Hodge put on the Burning Man Classic, an event that uh, apparently has run a long time prior to him starting his promotion and uh and he took it over 
I guess a couple of years ago, maybe, I think, but nonetheless, um, really a, a great tradition that, uh, that, that Jake has continued with and uh, looked like they had a really good crowd up there and some typical winners as well. They had a Friday gamblers race that Charlie Lockhart got the win on. Um, stop me if you've heard that before. And then their main event races, which I think were uh, 12-5 to win, I think is what the, what the purse was. Won by Seth Lancaster in a borrowed S10. Got in, uh, got in Jordan Wilhelm's fiance Mariah's. Um, they might even be married now, but I think fiance got in her S10, and uh, Seth got it done. Familiar territory for him, winning in an S10. We've got one that he done a lot of winning in, and then one of the most impressive uh, bottom bulbers that that I've ever watched personally. Just a a guy I just really enjoy watching. It's just just fun to see him. Come compete and that's Ryan Butler. Ryan uh, got the win in the day number last, I believe, um, collecting that 12-5 payday. So the Bernie Man classic bottom bulb race, good attendance, Chick-fil-A uh, at the end of the, the facility for everybody to go to and uh, big payouts. Great, great event for uh, Final Call Promotions and the people there that got to attend it. Interested to hear your take, Big Jet, on what seems to within the last year, maybe, if not at, at the very least six months, um, the trend in the no box category to not that Ryan Butler or Seth Lancaster winning is any surprise. Like those are, those are very much household names in the, in the no box community, but it's like, we, it's, it feels like we went for several years where when there were races like this, we talked about Nick Hastings and Lucas Walker and occasionally Charlie Lockhart. And like, that was it. And it seems like, again, it's a relatively small percentage of the field that tends to stand out, but it seems like we are talking about more names among that, that no box, that talented top tier of no box racers that, and it's not just dominated by a, a handful. Is, is Have you noticed that? Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, the, I think that, was evident um, at several big money races in the last year or so, but seemingly more and more, Luke, I agree that, uh, that bottom bulb racers are um, kind of coming out of the woodwork, if you will, and, and getting their name known on a big stage with some great performances. Um, certainly, you know, your Charlie Lockhart, your Lucas Walkers, your Nick Hastings, Rick Bears, those guys are still doing plenty of winning, but, it doesn't seem to be as dominant as it once did. And I think that is not people getting better. I think that's just people finally deciding, you know, I'm a, I'm a badass at home and I'm going to, I'm going to go out here to one of these big races and see what I got for these boys and girls. And I think it's, uh, it's leading to some different winners in the winter circle, which is really cool, really fun to watch. Yeah. And obviously I don't, I don't get to spend a lot of time personally at, at some of the exclusive no box races, but I know at the events where no box is part of the big show, they run separate. Like I sit back in the staging lanes and listen to the no box runs. And, and I'm pretty confident that I could not win the no box category if they let me stage up with the delay box. Like it is nasty. And so it always blew me away that it seemed like it was the same guys coming through that every time. Cause I'm like, my God, that is such a hornet's nest. Like it's so impressive to see your Nicks and Lucas's like 
I guess it it makes sense that that parity begins to catch up because there is a lot of talent at the higher end of the those no box fields. You know, guys like Seth Lancaster, Ryan Butler, David Bell, Rick Bear, on down the line. Like there's a lot of really, really talented racers at the upper ends of that. Yeah, very good point. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, got plenty more big bottom bulb races coming up this year. I'm fortunate to be involved in a couple of them and, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing if uh, some of those we got a lot of first timers coming to the WFC, so I'm looking forward to seeing if uh, one of those or more can uh, put their name in the winner's circle. So we'll see what happens, and and hopefully that trend continues. Nothing against the, the typical winners, but definitely like to see some new blood and and uh, see some people, you know, really get to enjoy a, a, a special moment when they go to that yeah. winner's circle. And the the winners enjoy it, but you know, I think at some point uh, that becomes commonplace for you and you don't get the same feeling after win number 50 that you do win number one. So we'll nor see how that do, plays out. Nor very, do the people, observation. nor do the people surrounding that winter celebration or the people watching at home. Like, I think it's easier for most to associate with the everyman, you know, that, that, that maybe the little known that, that uh, you can see the emotion in their face when they collect that big check and stand on that stage at Bristol. Do you do, do you expect a car or two to show up this year? I think you'll have a few. Oh, I think it's going to be decent. Uh, you know, it's, it's certainly, <laughs> uh, yeah, Luke, um, you know, as I share with you, um, off air, we've got a record, uh, record crowd of pre-entries. We're, uh, I see a couple sitting here waiting to be added. So we're at about 330 of those, uh, which is a record number for us. And, um, it, it's better than, uh, the year that we ended up with 551 on race day. So, I would think the crowd's going to be between 550 and 600 at the WFC. Uh, so we, we've got a couple of special things that we're planning for the racers to, to try to say thank you. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to announcing those things here pretty soon. But um, really, really fortunate to, to have a great crowd coming. I know the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout that, that I'll be at next week is, is maxed out and you had a probably a record number of alternates. So, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's a fun time to be in race promotion. You know, uh, certainly there's a financial gain to, to having great crowds and all those things, but that's not really what makes it fun to know that many people want to participate in what you, what you've created is so gratifying. And, you know, it's like, you know, Steve and I, we started this 17, 18 years ago and, and you build this and you're like, I think this is what people are going to want to do. And you change it up to the market and, and the economic conditions over the years. But Steve does all that, makes all those decisions, makes great calls. And, and to think that five to six hundred people are going to travel all over the country, Luke, to come foot break race. And when everybody tells you foot breaks dead. It's inspiring, man. It really is. And, and just so fortunate to have such a great following. And, um, you know, I know you feel the same way that your your event is uh, has a following like, you know, probably you never dreamed. I mean, I, I can remember when you just opened it up and thought, if we get over 200, you know, we, we could be in trouble. And now you have to limit it to 250 because that's really all the place will hold comfortably. And that keeps your event quality at a very high level where you can get the races run and all those things. And, and you still had you know, 60, 70 people sitting there hoping they got in on top of that 250. 
it's a it's really cool to see that many people want to participate in what you're building it is you i don't think you can put on an event without having the feeling whether it's a year in or a decade in without having the feeling that it's your baby you know what i mean like you 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 created this thing that you're just thinking as a racer as a racer this is what is the type of race that i would want to attend what are the things that that maybe i have enjoyed as a racer or would would enjoy you know what what would make me travel to an event like this and you try to check those boxes and when you have racers come whether they're from 10 miles away or a thousand miles away that you can either just tell from the look in their eyes or they just point blank tell you like this is this is the race that i that i dreamed of of coming to like this is this lived up to everything that I had hoped for or expected. Like there's no better feeling. And that's like you say, the, the financial gain or risk aside, like that's, I think what we're ultimately all after. And that is a really gratifying feeling for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Paige just sent us a, a little snippet where Jeremy Rosenstangle said that uh, he can't wait. You know, it's a, it's a great race to go to the Jake summer door car shootout and he's excited for it. And, um, you know, that when, when people are posting those things or saying those things, when they're, when they truly get excited, like when I go to the races, sometimes it's like, a, you know, like work, it's like freaking work. Like I work myself to death to get ready to go and all that. I, but I get excited about certain races and I am truly excited about next week in the Jake summer door car shootout. The, the place is so unique. It's a special uh, facility and venue it's uh, unbelievable how many spectators show up you've got some special things planned where we're going to interact with the with the fans and you know have a good time with uh with wheelie contests and burnout contests so um, i'm pretty jacked about it i'm ready to ready to get to i-57 next week it's gonna be a lot of fun and it seems like i assume you're the same way big jed like especially right about now right we're a, a week and a half out and really for the better part of the last month or two i stress a lot put a lot of pressure on myself like man how are we going to live up to those expectations like how can we make sure to recreate the culture that has made this event so special and knock on wood year in and year out as we get into the event i'm reminded that i don't have a damn thing to do with that like the racers set that tone that culture of just fun you know i mean I, i'd like to think we do some things to facilitate it but the the racers just amaze me you, you just you come in with a a positive state of mind you come in with the thought that this is going to be the funnest weekend of the year and then inevitably like you whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right you know what i mean like, like it's it's the racers that make the difference so it's it's pretty it, it is pretty neat to see no doubt about it it's going to be a great atmosphere um i i own three race cars luke two of them are really really good really good for some stupid reason they ain't the two you i want to I want to bring the biggest bucket of bolts I've got <laughs> and, and I want to bring big red up there, but I'm really battling that piece of monkey dung. And this is a I, bucket uh, of bolts that has a history with this facility. It has been in yeah. the fence. It has been in the winter circle. It's done. Yeah. It all. Yes. I've wrecked a car. I've wrecked the field. I mean, I've, I've done it all. Up there. <laughs> I mean, it's, 
it's been a good time. I had to leave one time because I think I blew a head gasket and had to leave early. You know, I've, I've had my share of, of good and bad moments at I-57, but it's time for some good ones. I just don't know if I'm going to get to enjoy it in Big Red. I'm going to give her another shot this weekend. If I can get this stupid thing acting right, I'm going to bring it. If not, I'll be somewhat incognito. I may bring JJ's ride. I might bring the wife's Malibu, whatever. But I'm going to be in something up there that I feel is competitive. One quick piece of advice before we move on. If you do bring Big Red, tighten up the front end a little bit. She's tight. She's tight up yeah. there. You're going to do a wheelie. You're going to do a wheelie here. Yeah, I know it's a wheelie track, and that concerns me just a little bit as well. So I, I'm not real sure what approach I'll, I'll take, but I'm going to come up there and have a good time nonetheless. And don't misunderstand. If you're coming to the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout Racers, don't misunderstand. If I'm there, my ass is serious, and I'm going to be in something that can win. Don't underestimate me. I will lay down 25 and one above on your ass. Don't <laughs> underestimate me. All right, Luke, let's talk, uh, let's talk about something that's not so much fun to talk about on the NHRA side. Yeah, thankfully, we don't have to have these discussions all that often. Uh, this is one that, that's difficult, right? Always difficult. Former NHRA Division Five Supergas champion Gary McMahon, he passed away in an on-track incident uh, during part of the, the National Open in Earlville, Iowa last weekend. Um, Again, like thankfully, we don't have to talk about things like this all that often, but obviously it is a reality in our sport. The I don't want to to speculate at all here. If you, if you're familiar with Gary McMahon, you are familiar with a uh, a Supergas Monza that he's driven for decades. Um, understanding is he had recently purchased a, a new to him uh, Corvette Roadster. And again, I don't want to speculate as to what happened here, but the the reports from the racetrack were that Mr. McMahon went wide open basically off the end of the track with no ever really checking up so the assumption is that something medically happened to him going down the racetrack and let's just hope for his sake that that is the case that he that he didn't know what was coming because obviously the 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 results of that going off through the sand trap at god knows you know probably close to 200 miles an hour not not a good scene not a good situation um so thoughts and prayers to his family and 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 all of the competitors there like you know that there's just a there's a cloud over a facility when things like that happen i think it's hard on all of us to when the reality of uh the dangers of our sport smack us in the face but obviously uh thoughts more so with the family than anyone else but that's tough on all of us yeah very well said luke uh you know a legendary figure like that uh passes in an on-track incident um it, it's it's hard on the family you know the the kind of goodbye that you wanted to to share is not possible when that happens so that that finality so happen i mean happening so quick just really you know makes these situations as, as bad as they already are it makes them worse if possible and then certainly a legendary figure like that, especially in that area of the country, probably meant so much to so many others outside of the family as well. So the impact is just far and wide and it, it just it makes it even more sad. And for those that that watch their hero uh, pass on in an on track incident is, uh, you know, that that's hard to that's hard to watch it. it it again brings out the reality that 
we're playing a dangerous game and you're not always in control of the outcome, um, certainly of the wind light or your own fate at times. So um, thoughts and prayers to the McMahon family and and all of the many, many, many friends and, and acquaintances that he's had over the the many years he's uh, he's been on the racetrack. So sad, sad deal. Um, Luke, on the, also on the NHRA side, there was a race at Maple Grove. Yeah, the only uh, points-earning event of the holiday weekend was the Division I Lucas Oil Series event in Maple Grove. Just a couple of quick takeaways from there, Big Jed. Top sportsman, Brandon Miller. We talked about him about a month ago. Brandon Miller went to the Division I opener in Cecil County. He won. Uh, perfect for the season, right? Undefeated. He went to the Charlotte National event. He won. Still batting a 1,000. He made his third appearance of the season, Big Jed. Maple Grove Division One event. And guess what? He won top sportsman. Perfect. What did he, what he do, Luke? 15. And he won the damn race. That's what he did. <laughs> perfect 15-0 and 0 on the season. Um, a good friend of mine once told me, you can't win them all if you don't win the first one. Brandon Miller has won the first one and the second one and the third one. You cannot start any better than that. There are now two drivers, Big Jed, that uh, have begun their NHRA top sportsman season undefeated. We talked about Jimmy Lewis a week ago. Brandon Miller has gone one step further. Jimmy's won two races. Brandon's won three. Neither one of them has lost this season. Um, obviously there's a long way to go in the title chase. Hard to say that those two are not the front runners given their performance this season. And then obviously in Jimmy Lewis's case, combined with his, um, past success. Um, yeah. So those two are the two to watch in top sportsman. And, uh, one other winner that I thought uh, was worth mentioning from Maple Grove, Tom Stalba won Supergas. He also was a semifinalist in Super Comp, and Tom Stalba winning a Division One Lucas Oil Series event. Far from news. He's probably won 30 of them at, at some point in his career. But it just came to my attention because that dude owns Maple Grove. Like, I would, if and I have no idea the numbers here, if he's won 30 uh, NHRA divisional events, and that feels like that number's got to be close, I would venture to say that, like, 12 of those had to be at Maple Grove. He seems to win there every damn year. And this was no exception. He won the damn race. Almost won two. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Tom does. I really like that guy. He uh, He's a talented guy and he's done this for decades at a high level. So congrats to him. Congrats to Brandon Miller. Uh, three for three. Pretty darn stout. Like, so there's uh, nothing sweeter than a repeater of a repeater. That's <laughs> 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 a good point. Um, Shout out to Paige. Look, Paige, I, I know that you said your Texas race had 346, and uh, that was a heck of a crowd. So shout out to you. She's kind of getting on us a little bit about, uh, you know, just skipping by that. I wasn't, I just I just missed it a little bit. Damn, and, uh, the, the disrespect is permeating here. We called out Jeremy Heffler when Scooter beat him. We looked over Paige's race. We talked about Tommy Phillips and the Gleghorn. Sorry, Paige. No disrespect. Yeah, we, we like you a lot more than it seemed like we like you, Paige, uh, <laughs> the way we treated you on here on the podcast. And uh, and shout out to uh, to Dan Casey. Dan, I see you lurking out there talking about coming to the WFC. I can't wait to see you there. And um, certainly uh, figuring on you getting your share of the, the winnings there in Bristol. And I appreciate the kind 
some words from Jerry Rosenstangle too on the comments you made. But all of you, we appreciate you guys watching. Uh, the, the show ain't quite over. On the horizon, we've got the NHRA New England Nationals. Uh, that's that's an event that I'm glad to see uh, hanging around up there in that part of the country. They need it. So good to see uh, good to see them going to the fast track. With the exception of Bandemir, and it doesn't look like I'm going to make it to Bandemir before it closes, like NHRA national events, New Hampshire is at the top of the bucket list. I really want to go to that race. Cool. Yeah, I uh, I would like to go to, to New Hampshire and race, not necessarily an NHRA event, but I would certainly like to go there and compete in some shape or form. But my guess is, Luke, they're going to want me to hold my foot down on the gas all through the shutdown area which is the second half of the track. And I'm really not interested in that. Either. <laughs> I'm kind of, kind of geared to shut her down there about 660 or maybe even a little less at times. Uh, there's a trio of Lucas oil uh, division races, uh, Norwalk, Earlville and Boise, not Boise, Boise, Idaho. Um, there that is the ace race. The season opener for both division five and division six this weekend. So I think that oh. makes everything is kicked off in earnest after this weekend. Okay. So, uh, division six where they got a new director in my teams. Okay. And I division five where they got a new director in Nick duty. Oh, that's right. Nick duty. Yeah. Division five. Good point. So good stuff. Uh, the ACE summer slam ACE race is at uh, dragway 42. Uh, that's the Elrod gang putting that on, and uh, that's always a great event. Looking for that to be uh, part of our discussion in next week's show. And the King of the Creek, our buddy Boo, Wesley Washington Jr., has got the King of the Creek at uh, MIR, Maryland International Raceway. That one's, uh, I think that one's got a 50 grander in it, if I remember, Luke. So that's, uh, that's going to be a big deal. W dot. If boo don't pat the gas, you get your money back. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So, guys, that wraps us up. Um, certainly appreciate all of you tuning in. Uh, if you're not tuning in and you're listening to this on Friday, we appreciate you listening. But whatever uh, whatever way you're receiving the podcast, we are thankful that you're receiving it. And uh, we certainly enjoy bringing you uh, the information that we do each and every week. Um, if you want to talk to us about the show, something we should have said, shouldn't have said, or maybe a show topic or just a comment in general, there's a place to do that. It's the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can uh, post it right there for the public to see, or you can send us a private message and producer Marcus snag that up and let us know what you had to say. Luke, what you got for shouts this week? Shouts to Paige. Sorry for the disrespect. We love you, Paige. Shouts to Paige for being Nostradamus Paige. The Sportsman Dragon Drag Racing Podcast rubbing off a little bit, accurately predicting those Saturday night finalists. Obviously, this show is having an effect. Shouts to the Skinningtons. Shouts to Wrecking the Car and the Field. I hadn't heard it put like that. I like that a lot. Shouts to you getting serious, Big Jed, with the 25 and one above. Shouts Bring it. Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. Can't wait. Shouts to the WFC. Can't wait for that as well. Lots of big stuff on the calendar. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about next week. Might, might, we're trying to put the, the pieces together. Might have a, a, a special episode for you next week with perhaps a special guest. I think we'll have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I hope so. Hope we're able to pull that off. And um, uh, my, my return to the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout is going to be without my main man, JJ. So that's going to get me all in my fields a little bit because when I did wreck the field there, 
my man JJ Luke handed him the mic and let him do the interview. Best moment, best racing moment in my life. It was incredible. And I would really like another one of those, but I'm probably not going to win. And he's definitely not going to be there. So there's no chance of me getting another one of those. <laughs> so I'll just remember the one I had and, and enjoy the memories of it. And um, Luke and I are active on the Twitter, guys. If you like to tweet, we love to hear from you. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. At us anytime and all the time. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We can't wait to talk to you again real soon about more Sportsman Drag Race. You know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action. Take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.